Our call to worship um, comes from Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, writing to the little church in Rome, made this very bold claim, which for us becomes a promise. He writes, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so let's come to God with our prayers of approach, which we will gather up in the words that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, each using the version and language which for us is most natural. Let's pray together. God, who is love, we praise and thank you for your unending care for us and for all of creation. We thank you that in love you set us in families and communities where we can experience different kinds of love expressed in different ways. We thank you for those whose love makes us feel accepted and valued just as we are, no matter what. We thank you for those whose love leads them to set boundaries for us or to challenge us when they feel we are going astray. We thank you for those whose love is expressed in cooking and cleaning, ensuring our daily needs are met. We thank you for those whose love is shown in tending those who are ill or infirm. We thank you for the kind of love that makes our hearts beat faster or our tummies turn somersaults. We thank you for the love that sits at the bedside of one whose love life is ebbing away. We thank you that each of these, in some way, shows us your love, helps us to understand just a little bit more who you are. One God in three persons, a perfect community of love. We can't understand it. We can't prove it. But our experience tells us it is true. And we thank you. God, who is love, who makes each of us bear your likeness and show forth your love in this world of which we are part, we gather our praises and our prayers, joining with countless others in all times and places, in the words that Jesus gave as guidelines for his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 14. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Amen. Good morning. So let us pray first. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the promise that in you and with you everything will be revealed. Inspire us and help us to understand these words for our life today. We ask in your name. Amen. When I started to study this passage of, of John for, for today, um, a story came to my mind. And uh, I would like to start by this story, a personal story. So uh, a couple of years ago, my husband and, and myself uh, were used to help in an athletic club. And uh, I was uh, leading the youth group, and, and my son was part of this youth group. It was a, a small group of teenagers, girls and boys in their 14 and 18 years old. And, uh, and it was quite a, a, nice, a nice group and community. One father of one of these teenagers was used to come on a regular basis. So he was used to come to the training and to drive his son all the time. He was uh, this sort of very protective father, you know, always concerned by his fact that his son didn't get a cold or he pushed himself too hard. He was a very, very nice man, but uh, his overwhelming concern and, and presence was somehow against my effort to encourage this teenager with natural running skills to give the best of himself. So one evening, I decided to, to have a chat with this man and to try to know him better. This man did a lot of sport in the past. He was a very good runner and cycling and managed sports team. But now he was sick. He had a complex liver disease, some form of cancer, which involved very difficult treatments. But with his wife, wife, they had decided to not tell to their children the seriousness of his disease. And so he asked me to keep our conversation confidential. I did studies in biology, and so I understood that Wittmann had an incurable disease. So this concern, this love for these children, it was his way to cope with his sickness. He knew, he knew that he wouldn't be with them for longer more. Then he started to, to become too ill to come alone. So with my husband, we, we started to take care of his boy and uh, I briefed a little bit my son so he could have a sense of why we were doing that. 
So when we are taking the group away for competition, we are taking pictures and movies and, and this sort of thing you do to, to share with people so they feel included, they feel part, despite they were not able to join. But after a month of battles and treatments, this man passed away. It was a devastating news for this teenager of 17 years old, as nothing had prepared him with this difficult moment. On the funeral, people come to pay tribute to this man, who was a nice and generous man, well known by many people of the area for all his many contributions in the sport movement. I was present with my husband and my son. A few months before, my husband had been diagnosed with a cancer and it was not going very well. So the funeral of this man was a secular funeral, like it is usual in France. We do not have very often a religious funeral. So you have to imagine a moment of very deep sadness and sorrow with unanswered questions in the mind of many people. This day was, for most of us, a dark day. Like sitting at the shadow of the death, an empty place at the end of the journey prisoners of her fears and sorrows. Do not let your heart be troubled as the opening verse of a Bible of reading today, John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. In the intimacy of his last meal that Jesus shares with the disciples, this sentence from his son's heart. How not being troubled when you just shared, just learned that a loved one will leave you and potentially might die. We do not like to hear sad news, do we? And, and the genuine and the practical questions of Thomas and Philip to Jesus make sense for me. I have empathy for them, for their difficulties to understand why Jesus has to leave. And, and Jesus' answers as felt do not provide any clarity. Perhaps, perhaps the heart of the disciples is so troubled that they can't really fix their attention. Sometimes we could be like that, do we? They look for facts. They want to see, they want to understand, they want to know. Their mind seems unable to understand the importance of Jesus saying to both the teaching and the revelation included in his words. They have only one desire, stay with Jesus. Keep their commitments and loyalty to the one who will call them friends, 
follow him wherever he will go. They have put their faith in him, in the man, Jesus. And, and Jesus makes an end to, to this confusion, to this parallel dialogue with these well-known statements that we just read. I am the way and the truth and the life. With this proclamation, with this sentence, all the conversation can now take a full new direction, a spiritual and theological dimension. You probably heard or read this, this statement and this sentence many, many times. And, and we can so, sometimes be so much used of a Bible passage that we just read it quickly. But I think that uh, in this passage, it is a turning point. And I just propose that we, we revisit a little bit the meaning of this sentence. What that means, I am the way. During these last couple of Sundays, we, we learned about God's promises for his people. And, and we were reminded how the Hebrews were traveling people. God called Abraham and Sarah to leave their land. Then Jacob departed, was a refugee and a wanderer. Joseph lived in exile. Israel, after having been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, wandered in the desert for 40 years. Then Israel settled for a while, but were soon divided, captured, and exiled again. The Hebrews were people endlessly out, people on the way. So the way in the, in the Jewish traditions became the metaphor by which the life under God was envisioned. They were people on the move. But as you know all, they were people from the laws, the Torah, that God gave them as an expression of his covenant, God's promise for his event. But the word Torah is derived from a, a verb of direction, as an archer directs an arrow. So the Torah, the book, was not only retelling the journey with God, but set a way of life of people for the people of that journey. They were travelers on a moral journey to a singleness of heart and one way of life, as put by the prophet Jeremiah. So the way was both the metaphor for the real journey where they were and for the moral and spiritual journey. And us today, we are like Israel. We are people on a journey, as we all used to say. On a journey in this life with issues, obstacles, and troubles, 
but into a spiritual journey, and particularly at this time of land. In saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus affirms that in him and through him the way become one. In him and through him we can find the way to our final destination, the Father, and the way to our moral destination or transformation in Christ, what's sometimes called Christ-likeness, or moral and spiritual transformation in Christ and to Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father. With Jesus, the way became flesh. And through Jesus, we have now access to the Father. Jesus embodies God's promises for his people. We are no more wanderer, no more in exile, not let alone at the end of the road. There is a way. There is a truth. There is a meaning in life. And to follow this way, there is only one thing to do. Take the leap of faith. Believe, believe, repeat Jesus in this passage several times. Believe, believe in what you see or what you understand. But believe, I am the way. Believe in the living God. It is only with this leap of faith, this act of trust, that we can really understand who God is. How the Father loves us and how he calls us to love one another. And this leap of faith leads us to obedience, to listen to his commands of love and to do his works. By faith, there is something amazing happening. By faith, our heart and mind are now tuned on his mind and his heart. And obedience and trust free us from our chains of fears and sorrows. But we are only humans. And, and we know that this moment of revelation, this moment of deep knowledge and faith, we know can, can soon vanish from our minds and doubt and fear returning again and again. And the disciples were not different than us. But Jesus, Jesus gave this promise. I will give you another advocate, the spirit of truth, the second Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, as we are used to call it, has, has quite a lot of different names. In some translations, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. I hope I pronounced properly. The paraclete. And it means the one walking alongside us. That's an amazing thing to think, that the paraclete is the one walking alongside us. The Holy Spirit teaches 
God's wisdom and knowledge connects us with one another and leads us to God's heart and will in our prayers to the Father in the name of the Son. The Holy Spirit is God's laws of love now in her heart, God dwelling in us, making his home in us, and leading us to a new life, calling us to live out God's purpose for this world. And, and the Holy Spirit is like a remembrance too. The remembrance of Jesus' obedience to the Father in taking the way to the cross for the redemption of the world and the sending of the Spirit, the source of life. There is in this passage, as you probably notice in this passage of, of John 14, a very complex Trinitarian theology. And, and in fact, it has been, I believe, a long matter of discussion for, for many years, and we probably had, could have lectures on this passage. So I, I won't pretend to try to resolve the Trinitarian theological questions, but what I will try is just try to, to provide an image of the Trinity. What is with relationship between the three persons? between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how they relate to one another, each unique, but all equal in God's unity. What we call a, a mutual indwelling, a perfect, unified community in genuine love. The Holy Spirit is often described as the spirit of creation. And the spirit was here at the beginning of the world. And when, when we come to faith, when we, we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. The day of our baptism, as you know, we, we died symbolically in Christ and we come to our new life in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit can be imagined, and perhaps people uh, could be perhaps embarrassed with this image, but could be imaged as the mother of believers. And so we have in this triune God the image of a perfect family of equals with our Father, Jesus, our brother, and the Holy Spirit, our mother. So Jesus didn't leave us orphans as he promised. We are adopted children in a divine family. And this divine family set us an example, an example on how we have to relate to each other and to love one another. Jesus left us to accomplish his mission. But he left us with the spirit of truth, guiding us on the way and binding us with other companions in the journey of life. He left us with a vision of the redemption of all things, a time 
where there will be no more tears, no more deaths, as wrote in the book of Revelation. The vision of a perfect harmony with God living with his people. He left us with a gift, a gift of peace, shalom, a transcendent peace which invites us to embrace differences and diversity, a peace restoring our true humanity, like a, a forecast of the eschatological, the eschatological promise of God. And, and Jesus left us with a mission, the mission to be people of hope. Not a, a candid hope, which pretend to ignore the horrors and violence of his world, or sorrows and fears for friends and relatives, our doubts and questions for our society, for our churches in decline in the West. No, no. He left us with a hope born on the cross, the hope from the suffering Christ, the hope from Easter. In Christ, we are no more people living under the shadow of the death. We are people living under the shadow of the cross. Free of our fears, we are people of hope. And we are called to share this hope. Love one another as I have loved you. You will do greater works, said Jesus to his disciples. And yes, together we can do greater work. We can be the community of love and care Jesus called us to be. And I have this vision. The vision of a 17 years old boy, often, who walks and sits down in the shadow of the cross and sees in the middle of his tears, in what it is the darkest time of his life, the way, the truth, the light, the hope and peace of the living Christ. There is a way, there is a destination, and there is a home at the end of the journey. It is the good news of Jesus, God's promise for this world. Amen. could pretend that that was a deliberate decision to light the candle then. It wasn't. It's actually because I just realised we hadn't lit it at the start of the service. And yet, somehow, perhaps it's appropriate that we light a light, a symbol of the light of the world that is found in Christ as we begin to think about our prayers for other people and for ourselves.
Picking up the ripple theme from earlier in the service, you should have received as you came in a sheet of paper uh, which has got what you may assume is a target on it, uh, three concentric circles. And hopefully you have a pencil on your chair as well. And we're going to use a form of prayer based on ripples, uh, which I'm taking from a book called the Second Intercessions Handbook. If it's helpful for you as we go through, you might like to draw or write or in some way symbolise the people or places or situations for which you are praying in each of those circles. If you prefer not to do that, that is also fine. And then you can take that sheet away with you after the service to continue your thoughts and prayers in the week ahead. So let's pray together. Imagine for a moment that our prayers are like the ripples in a pond made by throwing a stone into the water. The smooth surface of the pond is broken as the stone drops in and we see the first circle emerge. In this circle are the people with us right now and around us are the members of the family of God people we know or people we are getting to know, perhaps with whom we have spent many years, perhaps not. And these are our special brothers and sisters on the road, on the way to God. We need each other. So let's take a moment to pray for those alongside us, beside us and around us. Let's pray for each other's well-being as fully as we know how. And in this circle, let's also add those members of our family for whom we wish to pray at this time. The ripple spreads to the second circle. And here around us are the people in the wider community. Our cities and our towns depend on teachers, on politicians, postal workers, and the staff who work in shops. We'd be much poorer without charity workers, bank clerks, gardeners in the park. These people we see but very often don't notice, never mind pray for. Who do we want to add in the second circle that we can think of? Who needs our prayer right now? And what might they need from a God who wants to give them everything? The ripples spread again to the third circle. People with a national profile. People we see on television. 
political leaders, sports people, celebrities, criminals, people who perhaps are famous for a day, though actually may be hurt for a lifetime. Often these are people under enormous pressure. Who have we seen like that recently? Perhaps on television or in the newspapers. So many to pray for. So let's just choose a few and add them to our third circle, holding them into the embrace and mercy of the God who has so much to give. And so the circles, the ripples spread right out, reaching the far edges of the pond, one after another lapping against the banks. And out here beyond our circles is the struggle of our whole creation to live up to God's glorious purposes. This is where prayer, science, poetry and politics all meet. This is where God's will is done or not, where God's kingdom comes or not, on earth as in heaven. Here, God is constantly urging his world into freedom and wholeness. So let's add around the edges places and situations known to us, gladly aligning ourselves with God who serves and saves this world. Lord God, our prayer this day is only a tiny throne, stone thrown into a pool, a small offering of love in an ocean of need. Please take our prayers, along with the prayers of countless others, and bring about your purposes of love, healing and hope to the very edges of the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we leave this place and return to the everyday challenges of life, may God continue to bless us with the love of friends and the generosity of strangers, and us to bless others also in a never-ending ripple of loving kindness, now and always. Mm -hmm.